you guys. What a great explanation on that, that bridge, man. That's, that's good. Very good. Uh, man, it's good to be here today. Um, I'm kind of, I'm, I try not to look past like where we are, like in a, in a moment. Like I love uh, Sundays, like growing up traditionally, I think um, I came into ministry with some baggage as to how I thought about Sundays, like to be honest. Like uh, I think there was, a, there was, not think, but, but in reality there was like a phase for me in my 20s where I thought I didn't need to worship with the body of Christ. Like I thought I could do it apart from like the body, like what Christ saved and what Christ uses to build his church. And I think through a lot of refining things, um, and even in the past couple of years, like God's used the fact that we couldn't gather to make me value this so much more. Like just to sit in a room and to sing to a God who we should not be worthy to sing to, it's a big deal. And uh, man, but anyway, all that to say, I'm trying not to look past today because I, my family and I, were going on vacation, like a real vacation today, and uh, like... I'm not, I'm not taking a computer, which is weird. I haven't done that in five plus years. Where I, I haven't left town without my laptop in a long time. I'm turning email off. I'm doing all of that. Tried to do it about a month ago, and it didn't happen. And uh, just given everything that's going on. So this week, hey, you can try to reach me. If you really need me, I can't promise that I'll get back to you. But Zach will, and Neil will, and Andrew will, uh, and their wives will, Becky and Lindsay and Lexi. They'll be glad to, um, but I, I might not. So anyway, but I'll be back next Sunday. So uh, anyway, I'm, I'm trying not to look past it. But I am, and my kids accuse me of saying this every week, that this is my favorite passage. This isn't probably my favorite passage in the book of Mark, but I love this. There is just this one confession that occurs in this passage that I love so very much. And I know that I've referenced it just in sitting with people and walking through them with their faith. Like this, this is one of these places that it just comes up and uh, it's really important for us to hear. It's really important for us to be able to say and to think clearly about. And so uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter nine, starting in verse 14. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the fact that there was a shift that occurred in the book of Mark. Um, we talked about Mark is like the most action-packed of the Gospels as far as the synoptics go, and um, like I call it the Michael Bay of Gospels because there's a lot of miracles that occur, like a lot of hands-on stuff, and, and Michael Bay makes those movies where everything blows up. And so if he ever does make a movie of the Gospels, he would pick Mark, and there would be a lot of explosions that didn't happen. But either way, he ruined the Transformers. He can probably ruin the book of Mark, too, so we don't want that. But anyway, my childhood, man, I loved, I loved G1 Transformers. They were great. And Michael Bay, you have destroyed them. If you're listening today, you should repent. But um, there was a shift that occurred from a lot of the action, hands-on kind of healing stuff to uh, the place in which Jesus is going to start using words to teach more and like really speaking through the things that occur. Today is an interesting kind of aside because he started doing that. He took three disciples up on the mountain last week, and he said very little, to be honest, but God spoke, and that was a pretty big deal. God the Father identified Jesus and said that he's pleased with him, all of these things. And today, there's like, this is like a perfect hybrid of like Jesus is going to do things to teach who he is, but also he's going to say some things that are incredibly vital. And so today, it's kind of like the, the double layer of teaching, which is kind of fun. And so we're going to dive into that in one second. Let me pray, and we'll, we'll go. God, we love you. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you that your word is um, it's alive and it's active and, and it can do things in us that we can't possibly explain because your spirit uses it uh, to convict, uh, to remake, to reshape, um, and Father, to draw us to you. God, we thank you for that. God, we thank you for your word that, that is trustworthy and that we can look at it not only as a source of how to be better moral people, but more importantly, how to know you, be known by you, and how to begin this process of our part in sanctification of looking more and more like you, and more and more like the bride that you desire us to be. So, Father, as we look at your word today, I pray uh, that you work through that, and that you, 
you speak to us the same way and you speak the way you speak to an unnamed father in this passage, the same way you speak to the disciples in this passage, you address us. Um, and our Father, I pray that it would be real um, and you would use it. Thank you so much for your word. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 14. This comes on the heels again of the transfiguration that happened last week. Pretty crazy text. Um, if you are one that wasn't here last week and you normally listen when you're not here, we apologize. Uh, the recording was kind of unusable last week, and so it's not up. And so it'll be one of those few in this whole series that's not on, you know, that's not there. I hope this week will be better. We'll find out this afternoon. Uh, but last week it was, yeah, you, would, you did not want to hear that. So uh, today we're here. Chapter 14, we're going to read 14 through 29, and then we're going to come back, talk through those things, and uh, see what we need to see. So, it says, And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and the scribes arguing with them. The disciples are talking about the nine that didn't go up on the mountaintop last week. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, saw Jesus, they were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And, and he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. He fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if I can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw the crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter in him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse. So the most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And when he entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out but anything but prayer, by anything but prayer. Really crazy passage. Um, again, a lot of words, a lot of action, several individuals. And, and this is one of those rare occasions, too, in which Mark presents more details uh, than the other, than Matthew and Luke. Because uh, Mark is, he writes down some action packed stuff, but generally he's, he's not the most. Uh, verbose of the other writers. Um, if you find the parallels in Matthew chapter 17 and Luke chapter 9, um, Matthew adds a couple of things that weren't said, not contradictory, but additional details. But Luke is, is fairly sparse. Even the physician just didn't include a ton of details. Um, but Mark, on the other hand, is a beautiful place in which he adds a lot. And, and I'm excited that we get to tackle it. And so again, they came down off the mountain. Uh, they had just witnessed some crazy stuff. It said that Jesus was radiant. He was glowing. Uh, he probably came down the mountain as such, especially if we're looking back to the occurrence of Moses in Exodus. Similar way, when he came down off the mountain, people were like, whoa, I need shades. You're bright. And, and probably the same thing with Jesus. Remember, Mark referred to it, and he's like, man, his clothes were bleached brighter than any, any dry cleaner could possibly do. Like, you know, it was just a weird detail that Mark included. And so Jesus comes down the mountain with his three. By the way, Elijah and Moses are not with them. Remember the, the key aspect of last week when they looked around, no one was there but just Jesus. And so they come down the mountain, Jesus glowing, and they find like an argument ensuing. 
There's an argument ensuing between the nine other disciples that didn't go up on the mountain, um, and then uh, there were some scribes and Pharisees, and then there were just some, some bystanders. And Jesus comes down, and he's like, what are you, what are you arguing about? And he asked the disciples. Like, he, he addressed them because those were his. Those were the people they talked to. Those were the people that he was training. Those were the people that he was equipping. Those were the people that he would release to build the church and do all of those things. He asked them, but they didn't get a chance to answer. Because before they can answer, a boy's dad speaks up. And he's like, well, I'll tell you what's going on. I brought my son to your disciples to heal them, um, and they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it, and that's where we find ourselves. It's really interesting because several chapters previous, right before the feeding of the first multitude, Jesus sent out the disciples. He gave them authority over to teach, uh, to heal, and over unclean spirits. He said, go, do that, and apparently they did because they weren't rebuked about it. They came back, wanted to talk about it. Then we see the feeding of the 5,000. So they had, they had seen these kind of things before. They had seen Jesus do these things before. They had seen Jesus do them in crazy, dramatic fashion. Mark chapter 5, with that whole legion of demons that he put into a herd of pigs, they run off the cliff and drowned. Like crazy, crazy stuff. That was our first of several sticky passages. And so they had seen it. They had done it. But in this case, they couldn't. It was just different. So all Jesus knows, he comes down, he sees some scurfuffling, is what we'll call it, and before the disciples could even answer, a dad says, I brought my son. And um, in this passage, he says that he's mute. He can't speak. The rest of the text is going to inform us that uh, this spirit that is in him is causing him to have seizures, to foam at the mouth, uh, to go rigid, uh, to do all of those types of things. Uh, Luke, the, um, the physician writing, he actually says that it would shatter the boy. Those are his words. The boy would be shattered. And so this is what we need to say. Like, if we try to explain this away as epilepsy, like, we could try, okay? Like, we could take these things and say, yeah, yeah, they were just simple-minded individuals, and the boy just, he was an epileptic. Because we've seen seizures before. Well, here's the, here's the other quantifier. Uh, it would throw him into fire and into water and try to destroy him. Okay, so it's beyond epilepsy. And epilepsy generally doesn't make you mute and deaf. And, and these, these descriptions actually make that when Jesus addresses the spirit in and of itself. Like, this was not just epilepsy. This was not just an illness. This was like someone seeking to steal, kill, and destroy, just like we are told that the adversary, the devil, tries to do, like steal, kill, and destroy. The goal of an evil spirit, the goal of a demon, the goal of Satan himself is not just to make our lives unpleasant. No, he wants to destroy us, and that's what it was trying to do with this boy. And he even asked him, he's like, how long has this been going on? Getting ahead of myself a little bit, and he's like, from birth, from birth, from, a child, from childhood. So imagine a father, we don't know how old the boy was, but like if you're a parent in here, like if you're a parent, even if you want a dog, like let's, let's start with that. Like if you want a dog and you saw your dog going through this from the time that you brought them home, like it would be pretty unnerving and like super frustrating and painful. Now amplify that to a child. You have a child, your offspring, that you love no matter what they do, what they say, whether they eat their vegetables or not. You love them that much and you've watched them go through this, something in them trying to destroy them. Imagine your heart. Like we've talked about a lot. Like when we read scripture, especially the gospels, like we try to put ourselves in the sandals of these people and feel what they feel, think what they think, say what they say, hear what they hear, and experience what they experience. That We do our best. We can't possibly do it all the time, but we try. But imagine being the dad of that child. I mean, crazy, right? But yet, just like a lot of other people, he had heard things about Jesus. Romans 10, faith comes through hearing, hearing the word of God. In this case, hearing the actions of God, the words of God, that it came out through Jesus, God with skin on. He had heard, and so he finds him, he tracks him down. Highly unlikely that he had ever met. But he had heard about Jesus, the things that he had done. I don't think they're actually in Gentile territory anymore. They're back amongst Jewish territory. But, but still, they had heard reports of what Jesus had done. He had done it in the temple. He had done it on the Sabbath. He had done some crazy things. 
And so he goes to Jesus. And so, but he asks, like, why are they here? And he's like, I brought my son. He's got this issue. Teacher, I brought my son to you, uh, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, throws him down, he foams and grinds his teeth, becomes rigid. It shatters him. But I ask your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. Verse 19, here's Jesus' response. Really interesting. He says, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Hey, remember the roller coaster we talked about last week? Like for the disciples, the up, down, up, down, up, down. I believe it's amazing. I'm struggling. I believe it's amazing. I'm struggling. I believe it's amazing. Who are you? That kind of thing. Up, down, up, down, up, down. For those nine left on the ground right now, this was down. Okay? Because they had done these things. They had seen these things done. But when they came, they couldn't do it this time. Whether or not, for whatever reason, like if we want to look at the technical reasons, maybe before they thought it was like, they thought it was formulaic. Maybe before they thought it was, you know, because Jesus gave them authority when he sent them out two by two and he said, go and teach, uh, go and heal, go and exercise demons. They had done those kind of things. Maybe then it was formulaic for them. I don't know. And maybe this time they tried the exact same thing that they did before. Last time I held my mouth like this. Last time I was standing on one foot. Last time I didn't mean to do it, but that's what I did. So I'm going to try that this time. Either way, it didn't work. And Jesus' response now, a lot of people question, was he talking to the crowd? Was he talking to the scribes? Was he talking to uh, the Father? This is what he says. He says, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. He was talking to the disciples. Now, yes, the crowd heard. The Father heard. But he was talking to the disciples. Like, and he said these things before, right? Like he, he said pretty, pretty similar things. Like one time he was sleeping in the front of a boat, remember? He was asleep. And he, he was out cold. Jesus, Lord of all, creation, asleep in the middle of a storm in a boat, water's coming over the bow, and he still sleeps. Not me. If I'm wet, I can't sleep. So um, Jesus is awesome because he was probably soaking wet and he was sleeping. But either way, when they woke him up, they were like, Jesus, do you not care that we're perishing? He's like, you have little faith. Do you know who I am? <laughs> I mean, it's kind of what he said, but he probably didn't say it with my tone because I'm going to inflect tone that's pretty, pretty sassy, but not Jesus. Similar thing here. He's like, you faithless generation, how long am I going to be with you? I'm not going to be with you forever. He said, bring the boy to me. So he brings the boy to him. They brought the boy to him, verse 20, and when the spirit saw him, saw Jesus immediately convulsed, the boy fell on the ground, rolled about, foaming at the mouth, all these things. Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening? He said, from childhood. And it often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And then here's Jesus' other words. And, and in, this, in my translation, it says, if I can, exclamation point. But I believe it was probably like a question mark exclamation point. And again, I'm, in, I'm going to infer tone. Because if it was me and I would have said it, I'd been like, if I can. <laughs> if I can. That, Jesus didn't say it like that. But for me, when I read this, I would think, uh, last time we were down at the beach, we go to this place called Lolo's. I don't know if you've ever been to Lolo's. Love Lolo's. It's on James Island. And if you go to the coast in South Carolina and you're going to buy a standard seafood fare, well, it's going to be fried, okay? Uh, we're going to almost the fried seafood capital of the world this week, like just above Calabash, North Carolina. And I'll be honest, my heart is not going to be healthier for it. My soul will. My heart will not. But when we, last time we went there, um, my wife said something to me when I made my order. Because I ordered the equivalent of every fried seafood restaurant, the Admiral's Feast, okay? The Admiral's Feast contains 
everything they have in the kitchen fried in oil and on your plate. And we had already had a fried appetizer. The reason that we go to Lolo's is because my kids love their fried mud bugs, which are fried crawfish tails. And they are, they're amazing. They're like little fried globs of butter. And you put them in your mouth and chew them up and you're, you're just happy. But after eating that and, and, and the other stuff, I ordered like what was like their feast, which was fried flounder, fried shrimp, fried scallops, which is a crime, but they were pretty good that day, and fried oysters. And my wife said, hubby, you can't do that. Now, what she meant by that was not the same as Jesus' words here, um, if you can't, or they got the Father's words. What she meant by that is, hubby, don't do that because I want you to live a little bit longer. You don't need to do that. But what I heard was, you can't do that. And my tone then was like, <laughs> watch me. Watch me. Kids, buckle up. Start the video because I'm going to put it all away. And she's like, you're going to be miserable. I'm like, yeah, but I'm going to be happy. And so it was kind of like Abby being the dad saying, you know, if you, you can show compassion, if you can eat all this. And I'm like, if I can, <laughs> here we go. It's a sport, and I'm going to win. Jesus' tone was not the same. All that to say, completely different tone. And, and I do think, question mark, exclamation point, but the, father, the boy's father, he just said, he said, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now, we'll point out, he brought the boy to be healed, okay? He brought the boy to be healed. But at this point, when he's faced with Jesus, um, he asks for compassion and help. He doesn't ask for healing. And I feel like that's almost synonymous with the way that, that I pray often, not in a good way. But I feel like very often, like I have a need that I want to take to God, the throne of God, and there's a thing that I want to ask for, and I believe that he wants me to have it, but I'm almost fearful to ask for it because I'm afraid that he'll say no, and it might affect my faith. And so instead of asking for the thing that I think that he wants me to have, I say, I, I cop out when I get to it. When I get to the throne, and I'm in that moment of prayer, instead of saying, God, in Jesus' name, grant me X, I'll say, God, do whatever you want, and I'll take it. And I think that's because my faith, in the same way as this dad's and the disciples, when I'm faced with it, it winnows, it fades. Because the father brought the son to Jesus to be healed, but when asked, he was like, just, just have compassion. Now, compassion's great. Yes, compassion's great. We've talked about it. It literally means a stirring within the bowels and a, you know, a feeling that is so strong that you must act on it. And so he's like, so, so Jesus, just act on what you feel and be good to us, kind of a thing, instead of just saying, uh, heal my son, heal my son. And that's the reason when he says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus' response was uh, in verse 29, if I can? It wasn't cheeky, it wasn't sassy, but it was just a reminder. And then he says, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and he says, I do believe. But help me with my unbelief. Man, how often have we sat just in the presence of God who is capable of anything, but we're so fearful to display the kind of faith that we know that we need to have that we shriek back. He says, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. Now, we could pick up rocks 
for this statement. We think we could. We, 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 we do. We believe, like, ah, man, what are you thinking? Like, you, you walk through the crowd, you walk no matter how far with an epileptic son who is being oppressed by a demon, who's being trying to thrown into water and into fire and destroy your son. You made it all the way to Jesus, and you can't just ask him to heal your son. And then you tell him, I believe, but not really. That's not what he's saying. No, he's like, yes, Jesus, I believe in you, but I need you to help me believe more. It's so great that the thing that he didn't say, I love learning from what people didn't say as much as I, I do what they do say. He didn't say, I believe, but I need to go do more so that I can believe more. And we'll come back to that. But he didn't say that. He said, I believe, but help me. And the implied subject of this phrase is you, Jesus, you help me with my unbelief. I think again, if we take a very formulaic approach to our following of Jesus, we do still think that it is about what we do and what we don't do that equates to knowing God better. Even if we say that we don't, even if we say that we're not legalists, that we're not following Jesus with our do's and our don'ts so that we can earn something, even though we say that, at our root, I think our humanity says something different. Very often we do believe uh, something contrary to what he said, because he said, I do believe, but you, Jesus, you, the author and perfecter of my faith, by the way, according to Hebrews, he said, you help me with my faith. We may say that, but a lot of times we believe that I need to do more, I need to think better, I need to be different in order to believe more. But this man, even in his place where he was admitting that he wasn't as strongly believing as he should in this moment, he knew who gave him faith. He knew who created him faith. He knew the author and the perfecter of his faith was not his effort and not his works, but it was Christ. He believed enough to bring his son. He believed enough to seek Jesus. And in this moment, yes, his faith did draw back a little bit. But he still knew who was at the center of it and who was not. He knew that it was Jesus at the center of his faith, granting faith. And he knew that it wasn't him. So even when we want to throw rocks at him, we need to look at him and we need to say thank you for reminding me that my faith is not a byproduct of my effort. My faith is a byproduct of your grace. So he says, it says immediately, like I love that, like as soon as Jesus said, if I can, all things are possible for one who believes. It says the man cried out immediately. Immediately the father cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the crowd came running together, the crowd was getting thick, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to him, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him, never enter him again. And after crying and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose very much like that 12-year-old girl in Mark chapter 5, I think, of Talitha Kumai, little girl, I say to you, arise, except he didn't say anything. He just snatched the boy up. I love that. The thing that holds this entire passage together for the man, for the crowd, and for the disciples is Jesus teaching them that their faith is just not quite there yet. Now, they have it, but it's just, it's just kind of weak at the moment. It's just not quite there. And so going on just a little bit more in verse 28, it says, And when he had entered the house, or they separated themselves with just him and the disciples, his disciples, they asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? Like, we tried. We, maybe they did everything they did before, exactly like they did it before. 
And he makes this statement. He said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And while that sounds a bit confusing, he's saying this one requires a lot of trust, a lot of faith. Now, some, some writers and um, commentators are going to say that this demon was especially stubborn, but I don't think it was just the stubborn. I think it was this implied idea that you have to trust me to do this. You have to trust God to do this. You're not going to do this on your own. You're not going to work this out on your own. You're not going to earn this. You have to trust me for this. The same way in which this guy was beginning to understand that, Jesus, I do believe, but help me, you, help me with my unbelief. He understood that at the center of his faith was Jesus, and the disciples needed to learn it again and again and again and again. Just like us. Because that same roller coaster, again, that the disciples are on, I've been on it my, almost my entire life. Of yes, I believe. Absolutely, I believe. But I'm not going to pray with boldness right now. I'm just going to kind of, I'm going to pray safe so I don't get disappointed so that it doesn't cause me to wrestle with what I think I believe. So what do we, what do, we do? Well, I think first, and man, this sounds so, this sounds so modern that it kind of makes me shriek a little bit. I think we need to acknowledge the safety in this phrase of, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. I think we need to acknowledge the safety in that phrase. Because, yes, while it's admitting that our, our faith is weak and it's not as, as robust and as mature as it should be, it's also revealing that uh, the object of our faith is Jesus. And it's also just honest. It's, it's, it's just honest. Like, it's, it's, it's good, it's honest, it shows that we know where our faith comes from. Again, like Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, it's talking about the, Jesus is the founder or the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the one that, that creates it, grants it to us, and he's the one that refines it. Like, for us to actually sit and say in the moment that we should trust Jesus fully, we say, yes, Jesus, I trust you, but I need help with trusting you more. Like, that is a huge, huge acknowledgement on behalf that, yes, I need to grow, but I need you to grow me. Because I can't grow myself. I need you to grow me. That's a big deal. Because in our religious attempts, man, we will jump through as many hoops as we think uh, will get us there if we think that we can just earn it. Because that makes sense. Everything in our normal day-to-day flesh life says that we earn it. Our jobs, we we don't earn a paycheck or we don't get a paycheck by grace. No, we earn a paycheck. You don't get a house by grace. 99.9% of the time, those things do happen, and when those things happen, that's amazing, but we get a house because we we work for it, we pay for it. You know, and we we don't even develop, like, this is crazy, we don't even develop great relationships unless we work for them. Now, God's going to grant us some relationships, begin those relationships by grace, but we have to work for those relationships. It's a two-way street. And so there's nothing in our flesh-to-flesh life that happens as as a result of just, like, humanly grace, because we, we can all author that. That's Jesus. And so this is one of those places where it shows an acknowledgement that my faith is built, it is sustained, it is matured by Jesus and by Jesus alone. Ephesians 2 uh, reminds us this, and we, we reference it fr- quickly and, or frequently. We've got it up here, um, I think. Yeah, it says, but God being rich in mercy 
Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and sealed us, or seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God. So our, 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 even our salvation by grace through faith, like this is not an earning kind of a thing. This is not us logically processing through the gospel to the point that we understand it so fully that we're granted salvation. No, we are granted salvation by grace through faith. God gives us grace, displays it, and gives us faith. Like, it, we didn't make this. This man understood that. We need to understand it. Like, we, we have to understand it. And the beauty of this, like, we look at this passage as descriptive, not necessarily prescriptive. The beauty in this is that Jesus is going to work with us each individually very, very differently. You know, in that moment when we cry out, yes, I believe, but Jesus, you, the object, the author, the creator, the sustainer of my faith, I need you to grow my faith. In this case, do you know how he did it for the man? I love how he did it for the man, because that's the way that I want it all the time, right? The way that he did it for the man in this place, uh, the man said, yes, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. The immediate thing that Jesus did is he healed the boy. He said, you believe in me a bit, I'm going, to, I'm going to show you something that's going to cause you to believe in me more. In this place, the way that Jesus uh, used his situation, his deity, his almighty nature to grow this man's faith as he healed his son. Even though he admitted, my faith is not that strong. I believe, but help me with my unbelief. He said, well, let me show you how I'm going to grow your faith. And he took his son, who was inhabited by a spirit, a very mean spirit that wanted to kill and destroy this boy. And he said, get out and do not come back. Woo! The heart of that dad. In that moment, like, feel it for just a moment. Whew. In that moment, he said, I'll grow your faith by showing you what I can do. That does happen. It doesn't always happen. The disciples, on the other hand, they're there. And yes, did that moment grow their faith? I would hope it did. But he also had to address them and teach them in order to grow their faith. Like he pulled them to the side later, and they asked. They brought it up. They're like, why, why, why? <laughs> why couldn't we do that? He's like, you got to trust more. And I know that sounds like a work. That sounds like an earning. It's not. It's still a byproduct of the grace of Jesus being extended to them through teaching, through discipline, through training, through all of those things. And so sometimes, yes, Jesus will say, I'm going to grow your faith by showing you the impossible. But other times, don't get tripped up. Other times, Jesus will use our effort. Now, it's not effort that saves. It's not effort that sustains. But it's a tool that Jesus will use, our effort. Man, I, I love the quote of, um, grace is not opposed to effort, but to earning. Dallas Willard, such, man, such a heavy, heavy reading guy, but man, amazing. Grace is not opposed to effort, but to earning. Grace is not opposed to effort, but to earning. Uh, it's not to say that my effort is not going to create byproducts, or God's not going to use that for byproducts. It's saying, like, don't make sure that my effort is not an attempt to earn my salvation, but yes, we're going to allow God to partner calls me to try, calls me to strive, calls me to dig so that he'll use that to grow me. Same thing that he was doing with the disciples every single day. By the way, he calls them, he called them to do something. He called them to follow him. 
be transformed by him, be on mission with him. He called them to effort so that that effort he would use to grow them, make them, shape them, change them, and release them on mission. Same thing for us. Maybe you are here and you're more like the dad, and that's okay. Maybe you are here and you're more like the dad. Maybe you're just like, Jesus, I, I've been seeking you. I believe that you can do things, um, but I just, I, I want to believe more. Help me. Maybe that's you, and that's, that's awesome. It's a great place to be. Can't stay there because we do need to grow. We do need to mature. There will be times in which we revert and we repent and confess of that, and God brings us back. But it's a great place to be of just like, God, I, I do believe, but I need you and only you to help me believe more. It's a great place to be, but maybe, maybe, we're like the disciples. Here's what the disciples needed. Um, they needed to pursue. They needed to follow. They needed to be diligent. They needed to be cautious. They needed to be guarding. They needed to be willing. They needed to be obedient. Not an exhaustive list, but all of those things are effort. They're effort. In this place, like very literally, in Mark, he said, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer, prayer and fasting. That's an effort called by God for them to do. He said, in order to do this one, you've got to really lean in and trust me, and you do that through a conversation with me so that you know me. So maybe one of those efforts that we need to uh, enter into diligently, regularly, trusting that God's going to use that to grow our faith is prayer and fasting. And prayer is not just creating a list and, and, and taking that list to God every day, but it's a communion with God through relationship, speaking to Him. And we talked about this with a group this week over coffee that sometimes um, it says be in the spirit of perpetual prayer. I think the times that that happens best is when it's not an effort. It's just a byproduct of my closeness with Jesus. I find myself driving down the road, and I've been talking with Him for 10 minutes. And I'm like, when did that happen? Just a byproduct. But knowing that at any moment during the day, I can just stop where I am or even keep walking and just say, God, you know, here's a thought that I was having, and it's killing me. Or, God, here's something I wanted to say thank you for, and just lay it out. And maybe there are times in which you need to give up, like sustenance, fasting, like, God, I don't want to be distracted um, by the things that I need. I just want to need you, so I, I need to, to lay these things aside and just trust that you're going to take care of me while I want to hear from you. Maybe it's prayer and fasting. Maybe that's one of the efforts that we need to enlist, trusting that God's going to use it, the founder and perfecter of our faith, to grow us, mature us, increase our faith. Prayer and fasting. Regular exposure to His Word. Like regular, repeated, intentional exposure to His Word. Not accidental, bypass, drawn-out, kind of, you know, um, drive-by shootings of Scripture. Those are great. But we need to be intentional and regularly expose ourselves to Scripture. Is that going to look like you sit down and you read for 15, 30, 20, whatever, whatever numerical description you want to attach to it? Is that you do that? Maybe. Is it you have a 30-minute drive in the morning and you put on the Bible app and you listen to Scripture being read to you? Maybe. Is it you get together with a group of people regularly and repeatedly and read Scripture together, hear what they're hearing, you share what you're hearing? Maybe. But either way, there needs to be an intent in me that I want to know God and I'm going to seek to know God through His Word that He wrote to me so that I could know God. Effort. Led, ordained by God so that we can know God, so that we can grow in our understanding and our faith and our appreciation of God. Yes, it means there's an effort that's attached to it. Whatever. If you're struggling to do that, man, talk. Like, ask us. We'll help you. We normally have journals at the back, but believe it or not, they were stolen. We need to order some more. 
and hopefully they're using them. That would be great. That is a prayer of mine. Like, hey, whoever stole our stuff, I would love for you to crack a Bible or listen to a podcast or open a soap journal and read the instructions and start soaping through Scripture. Wouldn't it be crazy if that happened? That'd be, that'd be amazing. I wonder if we'll find those soap journals in a pawn shop for 12 cents. I'll buy them back. Either way, regular repeated exposure to Scripture so that it gets in me, so that when I'm squeezed, it comes out of me. What does that look like for you? I'll I'll sing it a lot. I love the soap method. I I love it. I enjoy it. It's good for my heart. It's good for my brain. It keeps me from academically pursuing Jesus and pursuing him with my heart. It's good for me. Maybe it's not good for you. If that's not good for you, we'll find a way that is. Let's T&E and get through it, trial and error and get through it and figure out what, what, what you need. Maybe you're not a reader. That's okay. Don't let culture say you're dumb. Some people just don't like to read. Listen. Find a way to hear it. Regular, repeated exposure to his word. The other thing, this is an effort. Be surrounded by people that follow Jesus. Make an effort to be surrounded. Now, this doesn't mean that we avoid people that are lost. We need to be around them too, by the way. Jesus did all of it. We're not Christ, but we need to imitate Christ on a regular, repeated basis, just like regular, repeated exposure to his word. So, yeah, we do need to be around lost because they need to hear about Jesus, but we need to surround ourselves, that inner circle, with people who are following after Jesus, who are going to speak truth into your life, who are going to call out sin and tell you when you're wrong and also tell you when you're right. And, man, I'll be honest, we're busy people. I mean, we we are busy, busy people. Our culture designs it that way, and I believe it. I do believe that one of Satan's best tricks is to make us so busy that we don't have time to pursue God through community. But we have to, we have to fight it. There, confession, I'm an introvert, like through and through. The first time I read a definition of an introvert, I was like, oh my gosh, they left my name out, but that's me. Believe it or not, I can speak in front of thousands of people, and I'm good with that. But it, it, it saps every bit of me out of it to do it. And I, 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 will do it every, I will do it to the day that I die. I love, I love being able to speak God's Word. I love it. I mean, I love it. But it kills me. It kills me. And, it, and I'll do it until I die. And there are days when it is hard for me to imagine sitting across from one more person. Like, just, just in a moment... Of, of transparency. But I'll do it until I die. It's hard for me to pursue community sometimes. But I know in spite of the difficulty, in spite of the drain, I desperately need it. I desperately need it. God designed me to need it. And I'll fight for it. There's some weeks I would rather just go to bed but I'll fight because I need it. I need to make the effort, and God will use that effort to grow my faith. Fifth thing we may need to do, we may need to step into his plans even though we don't understand the logic behind it. That's effort. God will use it. Not only does it reveal our faith, but God will use it to grow our faith. You go to a place where you have no idea how God's going to sustain you, take care of you, and he does, That's one of those situations that kind of blends both worlds of, hey, I'm going to show you that you need to believe in me by doing something amazing for you in this moment. You stepped out in faith. I'm going to grow your faith by letting you see I've got it. I'll take care of you. Sometimes we step into the unknown with no way of knowing how it's going to happen. We're just doing it out of obedience. 
Because we feel like God's told us to. He's confirmed it through Scripture. He's confirmed it through community. He's confirmed it through that still small voice that's affirmed by all those things around us that are based on truth and rooted there. And we go after it and we do it. Scary or not. Prepared or not. If he says go, we just go. And I love thinking about Abraham. Abram at the time. If I'm going to send you to a place, you don't know where it is. But I'm going to give it to you and I'm going to give it to your offspring. All I'm asking you to go is get up where you love, get up where you're most comfortable and go. And by the way, it's going to be tough. T-U-F-F. It's not how you spell it. I know that. I did go to public school. But there's a reason. But he did it. There are times he's going to tell us the same thing. It might not be go to a place, but it's going to be do this, don't do this, trust me in this. Sometimes those moments, it displays perfectly, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. I believe, but help me with my unbelief. Sometimes it is obedience, contrary to logic. Obedience, contrary to logic. And it's not really blind faith. We say that a lot. Yeah, we've got blind faith. We don't because we actually have a track record with Christ to see that he has, like most of us do. Like if we look back anecdotally at our lives, we see places that he's come through over and over and over in which he should not. Our faith is informed faith. And we may be taking a blind step. We don't know what's down there. But Jesus says, and lo, I'll be with you always, which means he'll be at the bottom of the pit. I'm kidding. It's Bible humor. That's L-O, not L-O-W. But anyway, sometimes it's just you ask, I'll go. I'll go. And here's the last thing that maybe we need to do. And this one, man, this one's hard. It causes a lot of introspection. It causes us to actually have to admit that we have weaknesses and deficiencies. Maybe in that conversation time with God, that, that prayer and fasting time, we just ask him, hey, God, where's, where's my faith weakest? In what area of my life is my faith weakest? Because in some areas, we're home running it, okay? I mean, we got grand slams all over the place in some areas of our faith. But in some areas, we just don't talk about those. They're just, they're just really weak and they're really childish. And we don't want to bring them up. But maybe we need to bring them up. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's your finances. Because those are personal, right? Finances are really personal. And you struggle with the fact that God says, uh, um, give of your first fruits. Regular, sacrificial. Um, maybe we struggle with that because we don't know, hey, God, I, I, just, I don't know how I'll pay my light bill if I do that. Well, let's talk about it. Maybe it's a place your, your faith is very weak there. And this is, not, this is not a ploy for us to ask for money. This is, a, this is a spiritual discipline issue of God says we do something, but sometimes we just avoid the ones that are a little bit hard because our faith is weak in that area. God, I see the numbers. They don't make sense. I can't, I can't do that. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe you're afraid to ask God to really take hold of your marriage and, and wreck it, reshape it, do whatever he needs to do because you're afraid it may be uncomfortable for you. Maybe, maybe that's the area. You're, you're just like, your faith is weak. I just want it to keep going status quo because right now we're, we're really good roommates and the boat's not rocking. Maybe you just need to say, hey, God, I need to trust you with my marriage. Maybe it's your job. Maybe, maybe you're in the wrong job. Maybe you're in the right job. Don't, don't, don't hear that. Maybe you're in the exact right job that God wants you to do, uh, but maybe, you're, maybe you haven't trusted God with, with what he's got for you. Maybe, man, maybe you got a really safe job, and it's easy to go in and, and do the things that you do, but maybe God has something more for you. 
And this isn't that name it, claim it, prosperity, garbage. And it's not. It's obedience. Maybe God intends to bless you more. Maybe he intends to bless you less. But either way, God intends what God intends. And so maybe you just stop and say, God, what, what do you want? How do you want to use me the best that you can with how I am, where I am, as I am? What do you, what do you want to do? You just, we just stop. Maybe we just stop and say, God, I believe, but where are the areas that I don't? That's a different question. Hey, God, I believe, but where are the areas that I don't? And then when he illuminates those, when he casts a big old bright spotlight that you can feel the heat from, say, God, I need you to help me here. I need you to help me here. And I said last thing. I'm going to say last thing one more time. Because of this need to be together, maybe when God tells us that stuff, we share it. Maybe we say, this is what I figured out. My faith is weak here in this place. Would you, would you pray on my behalf for me? Would you pray that, that God would grow my faith right here for his glory, for his purpose in this spot, whatever area he said it's weak? Or maybe you already know, like maybe we already know where our faith is weak and deficient. And maybe you've said it a lot, like, God, I believe, but I don't believe that much. Maybe the next step is just, God, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. Or maybe you're like the disciples. You do believe, but you've been on a roller coaster, and you just, you just need to say, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the things you've already told me to do, and, and I'm going to trust that you're going to use those to grow me. I'm going to trust you're going to use your scriptures. I'm going to trust you're going to use the time that I pray. I'm going to trust that you use the time that I fast. I'm going to trust that you're going to use the, what, the times that I'm around people that are going to call me out and point me towards truth and congratulate me when I'm living it. Uh, I'm going to trust that you're going to use those things. I'm going to trust you in the places that I step out in obedience and I don't understand where I'm going to land. Maybe we're just like the disciples. Same thing, though. The author, the perfecter of our faith, wants to grow our faith. And sometimes we just need to confess that it's weak. And we need him and just him. In just a moment, um, it's last Sunday of the month and we have communion. Last Sunday of the month. And I uh, love these Sundays because communion is, man, it's a lot of things to a lot of people. But in scripture, it's pretty clear. Like scripture, this is a time for us as family to gather around a couple notions. Number one, um, Jesus gave everything so that we could know God. And we remember that. We remember his life, his words, his death, his resurrection. We remember all of it. And, and when we take the, the bread, we remember his body that was broken for us. When we take the juice, we remember his blood that was spilled out on our behalf that we couldn't earn, that we couldn't understand, that we couldn't make up because this stuff is crazy. But we remember it. We celebrate it. And, and as a family and as believers, we remember, but we also look forward to the fact that at some point, that body and that blood that was broken and spilled on our behalf, yes, it granted us salvation, but it's going to come back in miraculous form and it's going to right every single wrong. Newness. And we'll get to live in that. So we look back, we look forward. And the only stipulations in Scripture are, it's not church membership. We like church membership. We'll be glad to talk to you about that in September when we do our next membership class. But before that, uh, it's not stipulated by church membership. It's stipulated by, do you know Jesus? Are you in a committed relationship with Christ, abandoned in sin to choose Him instead by grace through faith, a, grant, a granting of His own? Are you a follower of Christ? And are you in good standing with Him? doesn't mean that you can say that if you say, I believe, but help me with my unbelief, you can't take communion, but it means if there's sin that has rain in your life that is pointing where you need to go until you confess that and deal with that, don't take communion. 
Maybe you do that this morning while we play, while we sing. Uh, maybe you can't do it today, and that's okay. You stay seated. Let one of us know this week. Let one of them know this week. We'd love to meet with you, talk with you, um, talk to you about what sin looks like and how we get rid of that, how we deal with it, how God deals with it. Uh, but as we take communion, just, just remember, look forward, um, and do that. And then as soon as we're done, um, we're going to just dismiss today, given time, and uh, we'll see you guys next Sunday. Thank you guys for being here. I'm going to pray. And then as we worship, we worship through song, we worship through communion, um, and then have a great week. God, we love you. Thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his words. Thank you for his life, his death, his resurrection. Without that, we could not know you, could not be known by you. And God, we could not make you known, not in any way that would matter. So we thank you. Thank you so much for Christ. Thank you so much for his atoning work on the cross, his living a spotless life in spite of temptation uh, beyond what we could understand. And thank you that through him and the sufficiency of himself, we can know you, God, and be known by you. We celebrate the cross today, as painful as it is, and we celebrate the fact that Christ is coming back. Thank you for making us family. Thank you for making us your own. And thank you for making us missionaries in this city. It's in Jesus' name we pray.